Do keep your uh, Bibles open to that reading so you can uh, follow uh, along this morning. Uh, But let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, you understand all that's going on in our lives and the things that are demanding our attention. Uh, Perhaps some of us are not feeling ready to listen to you this morning, Uh, maybe because we're distracted or perhaps we're afraid that you might expose things that are in our hearts. But Father, we do ask that in your loving kindness, uh, by your spirit and through your word, that you might minister to us. Help us to listen today. Help us to pay attention to your words and believe what you are saying to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why should we take the Bible seriously? What does it mean to take the Bible seriously? Uh, Here at Minton Baptist Church, we have a very high regard for the Bible. Uh, We are not only interested in the Bible and we are not only reading the Bible, but we believe the Bible is God's words to us. We believe that the Bible is without error and it is fully sufficient and provides all things that are necessary for sound doctrine and for life. Now, every one of us here this morning at church and everyone uh, who isn't here, everyone uh, living around Melbourne today, either whether they attend a church or they don't, everyone submits to a word. There is an authority or a message that we submit our lives to. Now, that word might be a religious text. It might be a word echoing in a pop song. It might be a book that's written by a philosopher or something that you've heard on YouTube. Everyone submits to a message and lives by it. We all listen to, we all follow a word or a message and and treat it as an authority for life and for truth and morality. It's inescapable. So why should we listen to and believe the Bible? Well, our reading today that comes from Hebrews chapter 3 is one of the many Bible passages that helpfully explains to us what the Bible is and what the Bible does. And the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is this. The Bible is God's words. The Bible is God's words. So Hebrews chapter 3 includes an extensive quotation from another part of the Bible, from the Old Testament, Psalm 95. And then he repeats the quotation, and for a third time in the following chapter. Now Hebrews, and we've already seen this, haven't we, in our series, Hebrews is filled with Old Testament quotations and allusions And these are not just old words or quaint sayings or wise words. They are considered God's words coming from God and for his people. So verse 7, I think, is illuminated. It begins with this phrase, the Holy Spirit says. The Holy Spirit says. So the words of Scripture are attributed to God, aren't they? They are God's words. And here it says, the Holy Spirit says. And that's interesting. And in fact, in these first three chapters of uh, Hebrews, in these early chapters, the authorship of the Bible, of the Scriptures, is attributed to each member of the Trinity. So in chapter 1, verse 5, the words of God are the Father's words. In chapter 2, the words of God are the Son's words. And here in chapter 3, the words of God are the Holy Spirit's. So Scripture is God's speech, His words. 
And what we read here is that the Holy Spirit plays an integral role in the writing of and the preservation of the Bible. And this is attested to elsewhere in the Bible. This is not the only case where we read it or come across it in in Hebrews. Uh, For example, in the middle chapters of John's Gospel, Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he is sitting down with his disciples and he's teaching them and he's explaining to them that the, the paraclete, the comforter, will come. That is the Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus teaches the disciples, he says, the Holy Spirit will come and remind you of all that I said and did and that through your words, that is the apostles' words, that are given by the Spirit, people will come to know Jesus. So Jesus there is beginning to outline how the Spirit is involved in the relaying of the Scriptures or the speaking of God's words so that we can have them today. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is another famous passage. It's a verse that talks about how the Bible came to be and the sufficiency of the Bible and how useful it is. 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture, so not part of it, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Now that word there, uh, God-breathed, that Paul uses, um, that word in the original language, it is actually connected to a whole set or range of words and it's related to the word spirit. God-breathed and spirit are connected. They're, They're related words. And so there the Apostle Paul is saying, all of Scripture is God-breathed. So we, we don't, you know how we don't separate our words from our breath and, and the sound that forms our words? So if you hear me speaking, it's my breath, yes, I, I'm, I'm uttering words, but you don't separate that exercise from the words themselves. Right? So God's words, the Scriptures, come from his breath, his mouth. So back to Hebrews. The Holy Spirit says the author of Scripture is God. And yes, there are human authors. Uh, What's interesting about uh, Psalm 95 that he quotes here, he quotes it again in chapter 4, verse 7. And when he quotes Psalm 95 in uh, chapter 4, he talks about it being David's words. That's King David. He says, this he did when a long time later he spoke through David. So David wrote Psalm 95, but God wrote Psalm 95. There's a human author, and there is God, the ultimate author, the overall author of the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit is speaking. Now, in some circles, you might hear Christians trying to split the Holy Spirit from the Bible as though you can be like a Bible-focused Christian or a Holy Spirit-listening Christian. I've been to meetings where uh, people are told to sit down and we are to listen and wait for the Spirit to say something. Or I've been in other meetings where we're told to meet together, let's start conversing and arguing and talking and, and let's share. And as we find consensus, that is the Spirit's voice, the Spirit speaking. But friends, those kinds of approaches to spirituality, that only, they're, they're popular, they, they happen in a lot of Christian circles, but they're not Right? You know, when a Christian is saying the Spirit is telling me this or that, often what they mean, and I understand what we sometimes mean, is that I've got an intuition or a feeling which, which may be right and or may not be right, 
But then to take that leap and say that is the Spirit speaking, that is to assume an authority behind those words. It's claiming God has said something. And when God says something, we have to do it, don't we? But Hebrews 3 says, yes, the Holy Spirit speaks. But what does he speak? The Scriptures. So we don't want to divorce the Holy Spirit's words from Bible words. If we want to know what the Spirit is saying and saying to us today, open the Bible and read it. But there's more to unpack from this opening uh, line in verse 7. Our second point is this. The first point is this. The Bible is God's words. Second, the Bible is written for us. And notice carefully at that opening phrase in verse 7. If the verse said, the Holy Spirit said, as in past tense, right, that would be true. The Holy Spirit said. On occasion, the Holy Spirit said X, Y, Z. Yeah. And now when Psalm 95 was composed like hundreds of years before uh, Hebrews, the Spirit spoke those words. But that's not what the author says here in chapter 3. It reads, the Holy Spirit says. Present tense, meaning it continues to be true. It continues to be relevant. This continues to be the Spirit's words for us today. I like how Peter Adam puts it uh, when he's describing the Old Testament. He says, the Old Testament is God's contemporary word. It's a contemporary word. It's not a museum piece. It doesn't belong packed away in some forgotten box in in a garage. It is God's contemporary word. It needs to be opened should be on the, on the kitchen bench or uh, on, on, on the bed. It should be open with us, reading it out loud and listening and talking. And those are rather listening to it talk to us. The scriptures talk to us. It is a contemporary word. In fact, notice the different generations to which God was speaking. And just in this verse, look, you've got the original uh, Exodus generation that Psalm 95 is speaking about. God spoke to them. Then you've got the generation to whom Psalm 95 was first written, the people of Israel. So David is looking back and he's warning God's people at that time to listen. He says, today, using the example of the Exodus. So it's another generation. And then you've got the first people who read the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews are saying, the Spirit is saying to them, Psalm 95 is for them. And it's true for us today, the church today. In all those different generations throughout all of history, the Spirit is saying, the Spirit God is speaking. Uh, You might remember the opening sentence to the book of Hebrews, uh, which is again about God speaking. In the first two verses of of the, the letter, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. And so today's passage in chapter 3 is adding weight to that same sort of big point. God has spoken, and he has spoken a final and full word. We don't need new words, new revelations, updated versions. The the Bible's not like my laptop that is crashing and needs to be replaced. It's it's ever-relevant. It is true. God is speaking. It's wonderful, isn't it? God is speaking to us today through this written word. And it's a stunning word. It is exactly what we need. 
So the Bible is written for us. But what is God saying to us today in Hebrews chapter 3? Well, let's take a look. Our third point. Listen to his word. In verses 7 and 8, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So again, Psalm 95 that Hebrews is quoting, it's recounting those years uh, Israel spent in the desert, so following the exodus and that incredible redemption, you know, leaving uh, Egypt behind. Uh, After Israel left Egypt, they were heading toward the promised land, the land of rest, as it's described, but they rebelled. And so God made them wander around the desert for 40 years as punishment until the older generation died. And then only then could the new generation, the younger generation, enter that land of rest. And then many, many centuries later, Psalm 95 is composed. And there God is saying to a new generation, don't make the same mistake. Learn from the past. Don't think it's okay to ignore God's words and what God is saying. So listen to how God describes the people's refusal to accept his words. Uh, From verse 8, follow with me. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me and tried me, though uh, for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. Uh, Verse 17 refers to those who sinned. And then verses 12 and 19, it says, because of their unbelief. So in just a few verses, what we've got, we've got, we're coming across different words that convey this idea of sin and why people ignore God's words. Let's quickly look at some of these words. Uh, first one is hard heart, being obstinate or resistant. We've got these resistant bands at home where you use to exercise, or I believe, I'm told. You know, and, and the point is, you, to strengthen your muscles, you can use these resistant bands, and they, and they help you somehow. Anyway, but as you push, though, and I've seen others in the family use them, right, the bands are resisting. They're trying to push back, and they're pushing against you. The hard heart resists God. It's pushing against God. Or think of it this way. And now, I'm sure we've all had this experience You've had this uh, experience where uh, there's an urgent message that you've got to tell somebody, but you can't get through to them. It, it is like an urgent piece of information, and, and you just need to get in contact with someone like right now, uh, and you ring, and, and the phone is just ringing out, ring, you know, yeah, and, and, or it goes straight to messages. I don't know, maybe they've left their, their phone at home because you know them well. Maybe they put their phone on silent. But again, you've got this urgent message, right, and they're not answering the phone. Or maybe plans have changed where they have to pick you up from. Or maybe you've just bitten your dog and you need to get it to the vet, but you don't have a car. Whatever it is, and you're calling and you're calling, or you're, and, you're, and you're texting and your thumb is getting harder and more intense, pick up. The, you know, We've all done it, yeah? Been there? Or maybe you've sent a friend a message and you get an automated response. You've been blocked. That's the hard heart. God is speaking, and we've turned the phone off, or we've tried to block God out. As we read in the Exodus story, we read how Pharaoh's heart was hard. 
he would not listen to God. No matter how many opportunities, no matter how spectacular God's signs were, Pharaoh just would not listen. But notice the warning here in Psalm 95 isn't for Pharaoh. It's for Israel, isn't it? This is Israel. They're meant to be God's people. And and God had led them away from slavery and to salvation, to a future rest, but they weren't listening. They didn't want to listen. They were putting their hearts in silence, so to speak. Now, Hebrews, quoting Psalm 95, is addressing who? He's addressing Christians. So not the outsider. So when we read this passage, don't think, oh, this is my mate at work who hates God and doing all kinds of stuff with his life. That's not Hebrews is not addressing that person. Hebrews is addressing the insider. This is the person who's at church this morning. This is the person who ticks on the census, I'm a Christian. This is the person who prays. They have a hard heart. And notice the next word that uh, the writer uses to describe sin. He uses the word rebellion. Now, rebellion feels exhilarating and freeing. I mean, people lead rebellions because they always they feel justified that the cause I'm representing is right, or if I want to participate in an insurrection because right and truth are on my side. Yeah, and, and history is you know, filled with insurrections and, and rebellions and revolutions. Here the Bible uses that language. But rebellion against God, the Bible says it's never neutral, it's never good. It is the active rejection of God as Lord and trying to install someone or something else as Lord, something else that I will give my life toward. You see, rebellion against God, it's not an insurrection against an awful or oppressive government or unfair rules. But it's against the God who made you and loves you and who always knows what is right and good. Sin is rebellion. Sin is testing, we read. As it, you know, let's, let me do my own thing and see if God really is God. Let's see if God is really serious. Yeah, I've read the Bible. I know what it says, but I don't reckon he's going to do what he says. Let's see if really, you know, God has the power to enact his word. Let's test him. I guess most of us have expertise at testing someone, especially you know at, at a young age. Or I was thinking during the week of some of the things I, I would get up to uh, when I was uh, younger, you know, and thinking when I was like four years of age, let's you know sneak into the kitchen in the middle of the night into the cupboard and take those sugary treats or those biscuits. I know I'm not meant to. I've been told not to do it, but you know no one's going to notice. Maybe just take one or two, and that's what I would do, but after, eventually, you know, if you take one or two at a time, that the barrel gets pretty empty after a week, you know what I mean? And soon enough, it's all empty, and, and your mum and, mom and dad, they know exactly what I'm doing anyway. It's not like they're setting up they, they know. Let's test to see if they know what they're talking about. Jesus said, do not test the Lord your God. Testing, then the writer uses the, the word sin, And then he uses the word unbelief. So unbelief is what was behind the original sin. I just don't believe what God says. I don't accept what the Bible says. I don't believe the Bible's diagnosis of sin. I don't believe what the Bible says about greed or wealth. I don't believe what the Bible says about sex or marriage. I just don't believe. You see, the Bible gives us a broad range of language 
to help us understand what sin is and to describe it. And that's really helpful, isn't it, I think, both to understand our own hearts but also to help to communicate Bible truths to our friends. There's a whole broad range of vocabulary to help us understand what's going on in our hearts. Now, we all understand how in our society, on one hand, uh, it mocks the idea of sin. This word sin has connotations of being naughty, you know, and we kind of laugh at that idea. I'm sure we've got friends, you know, and I'll give you a bit of a dig if you ever use that word sin or because you believe some things might be sinful. And we're told often enough, isn't it? No, it's not sin. It's, just, it's my personal preference. Or it's about freedom. You know, and you're made to feel if you believe in sin, you're being dogmatic and oppressive and just trying to squash people's lives and freedom. So we've got that sort of view of sin. But at the, the, on the other hand, our same society is becoming more absolutist and dogmatic and willing to impose beliefs on everybody. Just read the paper any day. We'd love to name and shame. We do it all the time. We love the guilt trip and we love to counsel, don't we? It's going on all the time if you're on social media. Our society believes in sin in very big ways. Except most of the time we don't define sin according to God's character, but according to whatever other the latest faddish ideas. There's a really important reminder here, isn't there, in Hebrews chapter 3. Sin deceives. It's very good at doing its job. Sin justifies. It excuses. It changes the rules. But we're also told here, this is our fourth point, there are consequences for refusing God's words. There are consequences. Now, verse 11, if you look with me, uh, verse 11 talks about uh, God being angry. There are times when God expresses anger. God's anger isn't irrational. It's not out of control. It's not over the top. It's not emotional in that sense. It's, it's not God being tired or grumpy because he didn't get his breakfast that day. God's anger is always right and a proportional response to human sinfulness. And friends, the world needs a God who can express anger. There is so much, even that we sense, even if you're not a Christian, that you see going on in the world that is so terrible and so evil. We need a God who gets angry. We need a God who knows what is right and wrong and who can express anger. And that's what God is doing in this passage. Verse 11, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The people under Moses, they weren't ignorant. They were arrogant. And they would not enter God's rest because of their unbelief. What happened? Their, their bodies just perished in, in the wilderness. And then from verse 16, look with me. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all of that Moses led out from Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if they, not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So let's go back to the, the bigger picture 
Why is Psalm 95 uh, written? Why is Hebrews 3 being written? It's serving as a warning for us. God's judgment on Israel in the desert serves as a warning for us, this generation. Hebrews is saying, if you want to know, is God serious about sin and rebellion and hard hearts? Look at that generation who died in the wilderness. Yeah, God is serious. So Hebrews 3, in a sense, it's it's functioning like a siren. It's this loud siren that's going off. God's pressing the alarm. This is like God's urgent text message. God does judge sin. If we reject his word, we will not enter his rest. Friends, and the worst thing that we can do this morning is to include, God doesn't mean what he says. The reason God is setting off the alarm and warning and urging us is so that we will pay attention, so that we will listen to his words. Listening to the Bible is not bad for your health. It is vital. And so see the advice. What is the advice that Hebrews urges us to take on board? It's our fifth and final point. Encourage one another. Encourage one another to heed God's words. So it's not just a warning. There is an encouragement. And so right in between uh, Hebrews quoting Psalm 95 and then repeating the quote, Hebrews is telling us what to do this morning. Let me read from verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Will we persevere in holding to the conviction that we had at the start? But firstly, notice that we are all responsible for our own hearts. That's what the writer is saying there. See to it that you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. Don't shift blame. You are responsible for your own sin. But second, encourage one another daily, regularly, all the time. So here, Hebrews is saying we have a responsibility to each other. Encouraging one another daily, it requires us, doesn't it, to actually get to know one another. It requires us to be building uh, relationships of trust and love with one another and so that we can hold each other accountable. If you are someone who thinks it's fine to be a Christian and play solo, you are already working against what God's solution is here. Encourage one another daily. That's the answer. We need this, all of us, I need it, this kind of honest, loving, gentle, patient accountability with a group of Christians such that if someone sees that I am being deceived or my heart is getting hard, they love me enough to say, Murray, I'm concerned for you. I think, I think you're in trouble. We, we need to talk about Can we talk about this? And this is one of the many reasons why, as a church, we read the Bible a lot. This is one of the many reasons why, as a church, we preach and teach from the Bible. It's why our evangelistic course is filled with Bible. It's why we're reading and studying the Bible in our growth groups. And it's not, it's not only is it weird when Christians, sorry, churches aren't doing that. It's just downright deadly. 
Friends, to take God seriously is to take his word seriously. And that means believing what he says. It means accepting what God reveals about himself. Accepting what God says about the world and what the, uh, God says about us. Accept what Bible, uh, God says about right and wrong, about love and judgment and salvation. Believe him. He's the expert. Uh, we had a, a medical issue in the, the family recently. And, you know, often what people do these days when there's a bit of a, a medical issue, um, you often start talking and you just ask for maybe advice and from friends and everyone seems to know what the problem is and they can diagnose, you know, and then just what you need to do. So you can ask your friends um, or even more so, you go to your friend, uh, Mr. Google, and you get like a million different opinions and ideas, don't you, from the internet. Uh, most of them are rubbish, of course, and some of them are harmful. But, I mean, but it, it does pose this question, how do we know in a world of opinion who to believe? Which word do we trust? Who is right? Now, frankly, we don't live in a very trusting society anymore, and sometimes with good reason. Not always, but sometimes, you know, when, when you, you listen to, to politicians lying or sort of fudging the truth or uh, journalists who are reporting, but you know they've got an agenda that they're pushing. And it can kind of be confusing, isn't it? But you want to go to the expert. And that's what we did with this medical issue. We went to the expert. We, uh, we spoke to someone that we trusted, and they recommended the very best medical uh, specialist in this field, and we went to them. They knew exactly what was wrong and what to do. It was great. God is truthful with us. His word is always reliable. Listen to him. He offers rest to those who believe him. The Lord Jesus died to give us that rest. He died to forgive us our rebellion. He died so that we might have our hearts changed, transformed by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who gives us a new heart so that we will believe and obey God's words. Now, perhaps, though, your view of Christianity is that I'm okay with the Bible um, speaking to me sometimes, you know, in certain situations when, when the Bible is encouraging me or comforting me and speaking nice words, I'm okay with that, but God isn't allowed to correct anything. God isn't allowed to confront me. If that's the way that you understand Christianity, you are already falling foul of the very warning that God is giving us today. Is your heart hard toward God? Is there a sin in your life, and you actually and you know probably what it is, but you're just not willing to give it up? Or is there an instruction in the Bible that you excuse yourself from or you try to justify as not being for you? God is serious. As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So how are we encouraging others daily so that together we are listening to God's words and believing him and obeying him? God offered Israel rest, the forgiveness of sin, freedoms from slavery, relationship with God, enjoyment in the, uh, the land, the promise of living under his power and good purposes. For him. And then they said no. They chose a grave in the sand rather than a land flowing with milk and honey. 
How are we actively encouraging each other to keep hearing and believing God's words? If we are not, we are failing our brothers and sisters, aren't we? If we never have that time or that space to encourage uh, Christians this way, maybe we just need to reconfigure something in our lives, how we're using our time or our energy. That might cost us something. Maybe, you know, I need to change my timetable a little bit or my expectations. I need to factor in. Maybe you need to alter something in your life so that we are doing this. We need to do this because God says we are to do it. And the, the fact is that we do it for his glory but because we love each other. I mean, people matter too much, don't they? <laughs> to say, well, I'm not going to get... They matter too much to me, we are saying, to not do this. A friend of mine posted a photo on Facebook a couple of days ago. Uh, in the, the background, there was this uh, field, um, and there was a sign in the foreground, and, and the sign has a warning on it. It says, it read, uh, in very large capital letters, do not cross this field. And underneath in smaller writing it says, unless you can do it in nine seconds, because the bull can do it in ten. Unbelief isn't wise. Testing God out isn't smart. It's smug. Friends, listen to God's word of life. The gospel is God's word of eternal life to all who believe his son. And encourage each other today. How are we doing that? How can you do that? What steps this week can you take so that we are not only believing, but we are doing what God says here? Let's spend a little time in prayer, shall we? Father, you already know how, as we've uh, listened to your word this morning, how we are responding, whether we've tuned out, whether we are trying to uh, make excuses, where we are rehearsing our justifications, or whether we know in our hearts that we are guilty of sin and we want to repent and turn and receive the forgiveness that Jesus can bring. Please, God, soften our hearts so that we might hear and believe your word. Help us to take you seriously and help us to take uh, the, uh, the solution here seriously too, that we might encourage one another daily. Help us to be thinking and actively thinking and therefore loving each other about how we can encourage each other to pay attention to your words so that we might keep going and keep persevering to the end. And Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.